All right, we'll begin in, oh, no, it's time. It should be recording now. Okay, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Nahmaduhu wa nasalli ala rasulihi al-kareem. We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala, and we seek blessings upon the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So, continuing along, uh, we've now completed our exploration of the people of Taqwa, and we've completed our exploration of the people of Kufr. And so now we're looking at the mixture of the two. So first, a drawing that I don't think we did. So, so let me know, you can see the whiteboard. Yes, okay, good. And I'm being told my internet is unstable. Can you hear me clearly? Yes, yes. Okay, good. All right. So did we... Did we have this drawing already about your, your heart versus your identity? Or another way we frame this is your internal condition and your external condition. So we have a couple scenarios here in terms of what we are seeing. Okay, and so we have the person who in their heart, uh, I'm gonna use first just regular words. They have belief and on the outside, their identity is one of being a believer. This is the person we'd call the person of taqwa. And then we have the person who is rejecting belief. And so on the outside, it's non-belief. And this is what we are calling uh, a cop here. So now we're talking about the third person who is claiming belief, but on the inside is actually rejecting. And this is the hypocrite Munafit. And then we have the third scenario, which is the person who has belief in their heart, on the outside non-belief. And so this is usually someone who's being persecuted in some form. This is a person who could be a convert, but they are not telling anyone because they don't want to get hurt. Uh, this could be someone in a society, there's an inquisition or a genocide taking place. So for example, in the Spanish inquisition, we had Moriscos and Moranos. Moriscos were these people who were hiding the fact that they're Muslim. Moranos were hiding the fact that they're Jewish so as not to get uh, out. So now I'm going to give you the same drawing with uh, uh, slightly different language. So again, in their heart versus their identity, you have Iman in the heart and Islam outside.
And then, so this is kufr in the heart, and then on the outside, basically non-Muslim. When you talk about the heart, does it actually mean the soul? A oh, good question. No, the heart and the soul are not the same thing. And then uh, the Munafiq is kufr in the heart and claims Islam on the outside. And then this other fourth category of person is Iman, but is non-Muslim on the outside. All right. And so notice the difference. Uh, the key point I'm making is that Iman is in the heart. Islam is in the identity and the actions. So we made the point the other day that Islamic law focuses on actions. So Islamic law would not be used to determine if someone is of strong faith or of weak faith or is a hypocrite or is a true believer. Islamic law doesn't apply there. Islamic law is only focused on actions. But the Quran, looking at the whole person, the Sunnah, looking at the whole person, is sometimes speaking about the condition of the heart, sometimes it's speaking about the, their identity. And we'll add more dimensions to this as well. So now we are talking about, and today we are now getting into this person, the hypocrite. So some terminology. So a munafiq is someone who has nifaq, it's like a kafir is someone who is in the condition of kufr. Munafiq is someone who is in the condition of nifaq, which we commonly translate as hypocrisy. And we said that the word kufr, in terms of its literal meaning, it means to cover. Nifaq comes from a couple, a couple terms. One is imagine you have a fort. So if you've seen the Lord of the Rings movies, this is especially applies there. You have this fort, someone's coming to attack, and you keep a back door open that you can escape from. Sorry about the spoilers if you've never seen it, but the story is 100 years old. But, but the point is that the idea of nifak is you're, keeping, you're giving yourself a way out. Or if you think of the word for one of the words for a tunnel in Arabic, a nafak, what is it that makes a tunnel a tunnel is that you have an opening at both ends. And, and so there's even a lizard in the desert that would live in a tunnel underground. Why? Why would the home be a tunnel as opposed to, let's say, a cave? You can escape from either side. Yeah, exactly. So if a predator is coming in through one end, you can escape through the other end. So that can give us some hint about the disposition or the psychology of a the disposition or the psychology of a hypocrite. Okay. But now there's a really huge important point here. There are two types of hypocrites. There are two types of hypocrisy. So type one, type two, nifak. Nifak fil aqida. And then nifaq fil amal. 
So a hypocrite in terms of apida, meaning a hypocrite in their creed, is someone who is willfully fake. Does willfully have two L's at the beginning or one? Yeah, worry about that. And then this is a hypocrite by virtue of their actions. Good. Meaning the first one is an intentional hypocrite. The second one is unintentional. So an example of the first one is at the time of the prophet, may peace be upon him, there were people who were becoming Muslim with the intention of leaving Islam. There's even ayahs that speak about this. Become a Muslim today and then by Saturday we'll leave. What would be their strategy? Why would someone do that? Why would someone become a Muslim with the intention of leaving? Not even, okay, let's try it out and see if it works. What do you all think? Status. Okay. Uh, status to mislead others. Asha saying maybe because they thought it would be beneficial. So all of these, I'm saying make it even more real world. These are people who were opposing Islam. And so, yeah, it's sort of to tarnish the prophet's image. It's they're entering with the intention of killing the morale. And so 1937 on the phone, I think you were about to say something. Oh, I was just going to say to gather information like a spy. Yes, exactly. Right. And so on the one hand, they're basically becoming Muslim with the intention of leaving to be able to say to everyone who's curious about the Prophet, peace be upon him, you know, in Mecca especially, and then also in Medina, that, yeah, what he's preaching is really, really good, but you no need to leave your religion. It's not that great. Okay. Or likewise to get in da inside and to get information. So this would be the equivalent in our time of an FBI mole, right? So the running joke is that if you go to the masjid, if you go to an Islamic organization, the guy who is preaching radicalism and fighting, that's probably the guy who works for the FBI, right? And trying to recruit people and, and do its own, uh, you know, surveillance, all those things. So, that we may need to be somewhat concerned about, but the basic point is that, yeah, they are there, they're all around. Why would they do that? From their perspective, they're not the forces of evil. They're saying Islam is the threat. And so they're trying to keep the status quo. But the second one is, is the one that all of us should be very regularly concerned about, about ourselves. You're not pointing fingers at other people, but how much of the attributes of hypocrisy define me? And so, for example, we have those narrations that, okay, uh, that here's, you know, three or four signs of a hypocrite, however much of this is how much of a hypocrite you are. When they speak, they lie. And I'm saying this is the Hadith literature. When they make a promise, they break it. When they are given a trust, they betray the trust. Like, you know, if I tell you a secret, you go tell other people. And then... When they get emotional, they lose control of their emotions. And so we find throughout the Quran and throughout the Hadith literature, numerous narrations, attributes of hypocrites. 
and it almost seems as though we have more descriptions of hypocrites than we do of true believers. We have instructions for true believers, but one point to take from this is that this is something for all of us to be concerned about, especially for ourselves. And why do I keep on emphasizing that? Because I've had students who've taken this class who've then gone to the roommates and say, okay, I think you're a hypocrite. And like, that's not the point of, of what is it with Beardle? You're not pointing the finger at other people. Okay, so two general types of hypocrites. And then looking into the text, this is the section that we are covering. It's similar to uh, 8 through 16. And this you can break down into a couple smaller sections. So first we have Ayahs 8 through 10, and then we have Ayahs 11 through 12, and then we have Ayah 13, and then Ayahs 14 and 15, and then Ayah 16. So Ayah 8 through 10, we're going to see some attributes, Ayahs 11 through 12, we're going to see more, Ayah 13, another one, Ayah 14, 15, and Ayah 16 is a summary of the people of hypocrisy. So we're going to go through these piece by piece, inshallah. All right. And so uh, I'm putting on the Aya screen. And once again, let me know that you can see the screen. Yeah. Uh, Nather, you got a question? Yeah. Um, I was just wondering, is there any way you can post or list out the attributes for Nithal Al-Aman? So these are both going to be the same for all four. Okay. Yeah, meaning so all of these will be attributes literally of both. Got it. Yeah. And it's the difference is that well we'll we'll, we'll talk about the difference as we as we go through the list inshallah. So. Okay. Okay. So have, yeah, go ahead. I have a quick question. Um I see some people where I call them box Muslims, like they follow the rules, they go to the mosque, they, they play the part, they do everything nicely, but then they don't really act Muslim, if you understand what I mean, out in the real world. They're not kind to people. They're just all about enforcing the rules for themselves and everybody else, and there's no kindness there. And I guess my question then is, is that a type of hypocrisy hmm. or is that just something else entirely? So it's possible that it's a type of hypocrisy. We'll get into your point when we get to I 15. And I think that'll become especially relevant at that point. Um, and so uh, hopefully I'll remember to revisit your question when we get there, which probably won't be today. But uh, uh, if I forget, hopefully you'll remember at that point. But that is a, a very, very valid question, not just for the, these box Muslims that you see, but for, for any of us, you know, when our behavior contradicts when we're in different locations. Yeah. Okay. So, so this section, Ayah 8 through 10. Wamina nas. Okay, so among the people, man yaqulu manna billahi wa bil akhiri wa So there's the one who says, we believe in Allah, we have Iman in Allah, and in the last day, but they are not believing. They do not believe. Yuhadi'oon Allah. 
So they're fooling Allah, or I mean, you can't fool Allah. So you're, they're seeking to fool Allah. وَالَّذِينَ آمَنُوا And the believers. وَمَا يَخْدَعُونَ And they do not fool إِلَّا So they don't fool anyone except أَنفُسِهِمْ themselves. وَمَا يَشْعُرُونَ And they don't realize it. Marad. In their hearts is an illness. And Allah increases the illness for them. And for them is a painful punishment. Because of their persistent lying. So what is the first attribute that we have here in terms of an action? It's lying. And so now let's go back to the other screen. So. So lying, which is essentially, again, you're trying to fool people. So let's talk now about lying, the nature of lying and such. So first simple question, why do people lie? What are possible reasons for why people tell lies? Afraid to tell the truth. Okay, so they're afraid to tell the truth, yes. And uh, Isa says self-preservation, all right? And so if we make it even simpler, let's say for example, um, oh, 1937, you're about to speak? No, I was just going to say to preserve their image in some way, shape, or sure. form. Sure, preserve their image as well. Yeah. And so let's say we have a student. Uh, okay, so so this might be morbid humor. That uh, there's a running joke between me and fellow professors about how many grandparents we kill uh, with deadlines. You know, like papers are due and suddenly like the number of grandparents who die uh, rapidly increases. This school year, the number of cats that have died has also rapidly increased at the same time that papers are due. You see the point that I'm making, right? Um, I take all these students to telling the truth. Some of them are probably not telling the truth. So why would uh, a student tell me, okay, my grandmother died. Can I get an extension? And let's say it's a lie. What are they seeking? I mean, they're, the actual thing they're seeking is an extension, but what are they actually seeking? Yeah, it's like, I got this. Usually, when you're lying, either you're seeking some benefit or you're avoiding some suffering. Let me actually write it out fully. So yeah, sympathy with the goal that I get some benefit. So either you're seeking benefit or you're avoiding suffering. That's pretty much every law you can think of. You know, if I ask you, you know, hey, do you like my haircut? And then you say, yeah, even on your head, you're thinking, okay, I don't see where this haircut is taking place. Yeah. So the point is, <clears throat> this is pretty much every single lie. Either you're seeking benefit or you're avoiding suffering. Meaning, why do people lie on their resume? 
Why do people lie on their taxes? Either you're seeking some sort of benefit, like you're seeking a higher pay, you're seeking a job, you're seeking a higher return, or avoiding suffering, you don't want to get in trouble. So here's a question. This is the big question. So I'll give it a nice big Q. In that moment, let's say, I'm telling you a lie. In that moment, your ability to reward me or punish me is of more concern for me than Allah rewarding me or punishing me. Right? That's why I'm telling you a lie. If I was more concerned about Allah rewarding me or punishing me, I would be speaking the truth. So the question is, did I commit shirk? In that moment, I've told you a lie. Because... I didn't understand that. Sorry. Google has not been able to answer the question. So if... I'm telling you a lie. In that moment, I am more concerned about Allah rewarding me or punishing me. We're more concerned about you rewarding me or punishing me than Allah. So is that shirk? What do you all think? And then what is shirk? Shirk is when you're partnering something with Allah. What are your thoughts? Yes, no, why? If there's someone happy to call on people. Uh, let's see. Uh, Hania says yes. Hania, why do you say yes? Um, I think yes, because if you're sort of changing the way your future might be with that lie. So, okay. for example, as you mentioned, like with a job or with a pay, like maybe Allah wanted you to have something different. Or so you're sort of changing your future in a way okay. that maybe it wasn't supposed to be changed. So. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Okay, uh, yeah, we'll see Akhtar, you have to go one way or the other. You can't, you can't give these, you can't say probably, either going to say yes or no. So, can we change your answer to a yes if you're saying probably? Probably the prophet said a believer can't lie. Okay, all right. Any other thoughts? That's a lot of random people. Yeah, Nether. Like, one thing that just came to mind for me is that there is, like, the three levels maybe of istian, where okay. at the third level, um, the level of ihsan, that everything is communication with God. Yeah. And maybe that when you're lying, you, I mean, not everybody's at that level, but I don't know, if you're looking at the world through that level, then rather than, than your interaction being some kind of communication with God, you're, um, you're, I don't know, God is kind of removed from your interaction in some way. Okay, so you're saying yes, it's shirk? Yes. <laughs> okay. Anyone want to say no? It's not shirk? Shirk Huffy. Oh, now we're getting to some big big uh, terminology here as opposed to shirk jelly. Okay, uh, we'll see. Please explain this point more. Again, you can either type it or speak, whatever is convenient for you, Inshallah. But, yes. Uh, I think I'm saying, yes, it could be, okay. uh, but I'm not saying that it, you would be a mushrik per se, but I okay. think it's the state for a moment that you, and again, you know, I believe in that every action is based on intention. Okay. If you didn't intend to commit a shirk, then probably you wouldn't be accounted for that. Okay. Okay. All so, right. 
that's why I said that probably. Okay. But I and 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 then again, there's a there's a saying of the prophet that you know a believer could do anything, but you know one. I think there are a couple of things that he said, and one of them was a lie. Okay. Okay. All right. Yeah. Uh, thank you for that, uh, Shala. Um. So it's possible that you know some people might lie with a good intention, you know, kind of along the lines of the just previous comment, and mm -hmm. that you know people might say like something like, "Oh Allah, forgive me for." you know, with the lie that I'm about to tell, okay. but, you know, it might be for best, you know, so in that case, you know, it's not because, you know, you're very aware of God's presence, you know, okay. God is seeing you do this. Um, so I think, you know, there could be a range, so it, it could be both. It really depends okay. on your intention, I think. Okay. Yeah. So, so let's say uh, I'm applying for a job that uh, I don't need. I just want to get more pay. I'm li living super comfortably. And and I'm looking at the qualifications and it's asking for my current salary. And then I fudge the details. I don't even want to call it a lie, but it's a lie. And, and so I have no need for the job. I'm lying for, to get this higher paying job because I want the higher pay. And then I get it. Was that shirt? So the benefit is, is, uh, I'm not even thinking of what am I going to do with the money? It's just, I want more money. So I'm not thinking, okay, I'll get more money and then I can give it in charity. No, I want a higher salary. Any thoughts? So lying or lying to a wife in matters of husband and wife is Hassan. Like there is a teaching that uh, uh, you can lie about the taste of, of the, your spouse's cooking. Uh, any thoughts? Okay. So I was saying people lie to their kids all the time. <laughs> nice. Exhibit A, a five-year-old asks where babies come from. A lot of parents lie about that. Okay, fair enough. It was already written for you to get the job though, right? Okay, so that could be my justification, which means that I didn't have to lie about it. So, so is it a lie? Is it a shirk? No, it's actually just, a, it's a sin. I was going to say just a sin, but I don't want to minimize it. And so a point I'm making here is more about shirk, <clears throat> that there are some uh, groups of thinking in our local and global community where you can identify things as shirk because they seem like shirk. I mean, I made it sound exactly like shirk, right? You're prioritizing this person over a law. But no, it is a sin. And so the bigger point of what I'm making here about shirk itself. So what is shirk? Shirk is to partner anything with a law. Which could be that you give something the same status that you should give to a law and such. <clears throat> but only Allah uh, dictates what is shirk. Now keep in mind when I'm saying only Allah dictates what is shirk, I'm including what the prophet is teaching because we're saying that it's coming from Allah. Let's see. Sin is different. Sin you can determine by way of analogies. Shirk, 
you cannot determine by way of analogies. And again, for most of you, this is not going to be an issue in terms of how you practice your Islam, but you are going to come across people who will claim this or that is shirk because they'll give you clever analogies and such. So you'll hear this commonly in the context of governance that, that popular sovereignty is shirk. Okay, that's a huge, huge leap to, to, to make that claim. You know, shirk can only be determined by Allah and the Prophet, peace be upon him, we can't use analogies. Because if you literally use analogies, you can literally kind of argue that every single sin is a shirk, is shirk, because you're basically choosing your appetite or what you want over Allah. So I hope everyone understands the point. They actually, that momentary exercise was actually more about the nature of shirk than about the nature of lying. So now, going back to lying itself, why do people lie? They're taking benefit, they're avoiding suffering. And then what is the deeper point here? They don't have confidence that the truth will work. Right? And that's why they're lying. So they could have distrust or lack of trust. Those are two different things. But the point here is that they don't have confidence that the truth will get them what they're seeking, whether it's to avoid punishment or to uh, get benefit. And so let's see, uh, I was saying that could be applied to a lot of things in this world, right? Many people prioritize money over religion. Yeah, exactly. And so that doesn't make all these things shirk. Uh, it, we would call it misplaced priorities. So, so the point here, this lack of confidence the point I'm illustrating is this is showing how the people of Taqwa are the opposite. That the people of Taqwa are, have trust in Allah and by extension trust in the truth. Of course, you're gonna have exceptional cases. So for example, if your life is in danger, then it might even be preferred to lie, to preserve your life. We have this case with the companion of the prophet Amar who has just watched both of his parents get executed by the Quraysh and brutally executed. And then he's asked, okay, did you give up your, do you now give up, you know, Muhammad's religion? He says, yeah. And then he runs back to the prophet peace upon him thinking he's doomed. And he asks, okay, here's what I did. Here's what happened. And the prophet says, okay, you're not held to account by, you know, what you've said that didn't include your heart. Yeah. So there will be times, exceptional cases, where lying might not only be permissible, but might even be recommended. But as a general principle, obviously we're saying it's forbidden, but why do people lie? Generally speaking, it's because they don't have confidence in the truth. And that's giving us a hint, again, of the mind of, of hypocrisy. Okay. So a little bit more of the ayah that we just looked at. That it says that they have disease in their heart. So let's talk about this now. So, and I think uh, Wasim, you also made the point that actions are judged by intentions. So this will also fit with what you described. So there's a couple parts of you. There is your heart, there is your mind, and then there's your body. The heart is the realm of your yearnings, your core yearnings. In Arabic, we'd call it your irada which is the word that we have both in Parthi and Urdu as well. The mind is the realm of your intentions or your motive. 
your niya. And the body is the realm of action, your amal. Okay. Now, so if we were to draw this, here's your heart. Sorry, we're drawing in the history of this afternoon. Okay. Here's your heart. And so in your heart are located your core yearnings. And so your heart is then launching your intentions, which then make your actions happen. So as you are growing up in life, as you're living life, what starts to happen is based on how you're raised, you're being taught to look at life through a particular lens. So what I mean here is that when you're born, we're taught that everyone is born on fitzerah. And actually, I should make a correction. You know, we have a uh, we commonly use the language of revert as opposed to convert. No, that's fine. Uh, but a lot of times, people are misreading the hadith narration. The prophet doesn't say, "Peace be upon him." Everyone's born Muslim. The prophet says, "Everyone is born on fitzrah," which doesn't contradict the point. Um, but what is part of fitzrah is that everyone is born hardwired with the consciousness of Allah. Everyone is born hardwired with a consciousness of right and wrong. Consciousness. Or another way to think of right and wrong is boundaries that they're not supposed to cross. And I think of a moment when my, my first daughter, when she was probably a little over a year old, she was playing in the living room. I don't know what I was doing. And then she's quiet and I look over and we, and she was holding one of my floppy disks. Oh, actually, you know what? You young people don't, don't even know what a floppy disk is. Okay. Back, back in a previous era, we used to store memory on these flat things that we called disks. Maybe you've seen one in a movie or something. And anyway, so she was holding this and she knew it was mine. She's staring at me and she has this look like she wants to play with this but she knows she's not supposed to, right? She's reached this boundary that she knows she's in, intuitively, she innately knows she's not supposed to cross this boundary. So, yeah, by the way, we also used to have these things called telephones. I mean, right now it's an app on that, that thing you hold in your hand. I won't get into that conversation. Anyway, so, so everyone's born hardwired with these things. Whether you're born hardwired with more or uh, than that, Allah knows best. But your fitzra can be buried or is corruptible but it also is repurifiable okay so we're saying everyone is born with this innate purity which also means everyone is born innately good innately innocent so in contrast to, to textbook Catholicism more than Protestant Christianity, but the notion that people are born in sin uh, because of original sin, you know, in, in our tradition, we don't have that. 
And so everyone is born innately good. By default, people are innately good. Okay. So what does that mean? That here is me and here is Allah. That when I'm born, there is nothing between me and Allah. Right? I am that pure. But as I'm being raised by my family, so like the Hadith says, everyone is born on fitra, and then their parents will then raise them as Jews and Christians, etc., etc. And we can even say certain types of Muslims. Uh, then what's happening is that walls are being built between me and Allah. That I'm actually being taught are these are lenses through which to look at the world and how reality operates. So for example, if I'm being taught that I'm innately guilty, I'm innately evil, that would be a wall. Well, people should not be trusted. And so as you're going through life, there's the walls that you're being taught. And then there's also the walls that you yourself are putting as a result of your choices. So what I'm saying is that when you commit a sin, you're putting a wall around your heart, which then means what? Back to this drawing. You are obscuring your yearning. You're obscuring your moral sense. The more sins you commit, the more you're obscuring your moral sense. So imagine if you grew up in a casino, like literally in a casino. You're being taught a certain type of morality. And you're being taught a way to look at people. And that is going to affect how you see things, how you see reality. So then there might also be the cases of not necessarily my choices, but responses to trauma. That will also create walls between me and, and Allah, meaning walls that prevent me from either getting closer to Allah or seeking, preventing me from seeking to get closer to Allah. And so in the context of this drawing, it would be like we're adding all these walls that are preventing me from truly understanding what my heart is yearning for. So what does that mean? When I am listening to my heart, I'm misdiagnosing it. So let's say I feel some unease in my heart. And then I experience, I diagnose it as, okay, you know, if I just eat some, you know, if I eat a snack, it'll go away. Or if I am feeling this uh, unease in my heart, I might identify it as loneliness and then act accordingly. And so we all know this uneasiness. It's something different than a physiological feeling like physical hunger. It's different than that feeling. And so the point is that the more pure my heart is, the more I'm in touch with my heart, the more I'm going to diagnose it correctly. And so, but think about what this means. If I'm misdiagnosing my heart, then my intentions are going to be affected because I'm seeking to cure the yearning. And maybe the physiological response, like a dopamine fix, will 
make me make the unease go away temporarily. Okay. And Neil, you're saying exactly what the folks in prison have to work through environment and sin. Uh, if I can ask you to explain that further. Uh, you're, you're, uh... Yeah, sorry, we're outside. Okay. Um, hi, Dayton peeps. All the 937s are my Dayton peeps. <laughs> I Dayton. Um, yeah, so um, in the prison, when um, I work with the uh, people there, uh, the prisoners there, um, uh, a lot of what we are unpacking, you know, in order for them to, you know, develop um, that connection with God, you know, on a more and more consistent basis is sort of sorting through, you know, um, all of the layers on top of their fitra um, that have been uh, put there generally uh, through environment and trauma, what they were taught in the environments they grew up in and then trauma um and then also you know followed up by you know their own actions which just often perpetuate you know what they were what they were taught and so um as we talk about the quran and talk about allah and their relationship with allah then they can start to sort of be more in touch with uh their hearts and um you know inshallah uh, become closer to Allah so that it is a source of uh, hope and strength uh, for them. Yeah. So, yeah, this is exactly it, what we're talking about here. And so what we're also saying is that if I am making wrong choices, sins, then I'm putting a certain type of layer around my heart. What's a good color for this? which is more like a disease, which really affects my intentions, which then affects my actions. And so the scary part here is that it says they have a disease in their hearts and Allah allows the disease to increase if they keep going down this path. And so, so the idea here is that when someone is lying, they know they're doing wrong. And so we're not talking about the case of someone who's lying to not get killed or to not get persecuted. Like, you know, if someone's attacking and they're lying to get away from attacking, we're not talking about that case. We're talking about the case where someone is under no compulsion and then they're lying. Because if you're under compulsion, then your real intention is to be safe. And so... So this is a type of disease that then forms. And then Allah allows the disease to increase. How? By letting you continue your willful wrongdoing. And you have no compulsion to be doing wrong. And then what happens is that you get stamped. So the, in the Hadith literature, it says that you... Uh, a liar keeps lying until they get stamped as a liar. So they can't not lie. In the same way, a someone speaking a truth will keep speaking the truth until they get stamped as a truth teller and they can't not tell the truth. 
So this is how the disease operates. So one aspect of the filters are how we're being taught on how to live, how life works, the choices that we're making that will influence us, the responses to trauma and the examples that, that, that Neela forgave, you know, which could be systemic or it could be related to, to abuse and whatnot. You know, and I should say whatnot, but you know, all these very, very serious things that affect our choices and our, our understanding of the world. But then on top of that, when I'm doing wrong without the compulsion to do wrong, that is disease. And that's where it becomes hypocrisy. As opposed to someone who's been so traumatized that they're making choices because they're interpreting everything as a survival choice. That's not what we're talking about here. In hypocrisy, we're talking about someone who has no need except their own personal elevation. And so to finish off the language regarding the akhira, the hereafter, is that hypocrites are in a lower place than kafirs. So a kafir is someone who, who understands, who receives a message, understands it, internalizes it, and says no. A kafir is claiming to believe, but is, is secretly rejecting the message. And that person is a lower place in hell, which is very scary. And so to finish off, the reminder is that for all of us, uh, pay close attention to all these attributes, not in the sense that I'm saying you're a hypocrite, but for all of us to be very conscious about the risks of being a hypocrite. I think that's part of the reason why so much of the Quran talks about hypocrisy versus the attributes of believers. We do talk about attributes of believers like the people of Taqwa, but there's so much more. We had three ayahs about, about the people of Taqwa, and here we have eight ayahs about the people of hypocrisy. Okay. Having said that, any questions about anything at all that we've covered today? But tomorrow we'll get into another attribute of hypocrisy. So Laith, to your question, or not Laith, Nather, to your question, uh, this we would find both among willful hypocrites, you know, lying, that I think is obvious, but then also nifaq fil amal, these are people who are lying because, you know, in the moment, they don't uh, believe the trust, the truth is going to be, you know, what they want. You give them what they want. Shala. Um, can you hear me? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So I don't want to prolong the discussion further, but back to yeah. like the, what we talked about yesterday, like free will versus predestination. How does that play in to all of this? Yeah, I think that's a, it's a really good question. So, so if we apply to the day of judgment, you're going to be judged fairly, which means that it's also, we'd also be taking into account the fact that you are a product of your environment to some degree, right? So to, to, to lay out all the different influences, I don't know if we've done this, uh, this diagram. So all, what are all the influences on me? The one, as we've seen today, is the fitzrah. One is my choices. Can we talk about this? Does this look familiar to anybody? Yes, no. Okay. And then another would be my inner circle. So this would be my family, my closest friends, and then what we're going to call your outer circle. So this would be especially society with emphasis on its categories. And, and uh, what we'd say is ideals. 
but even think of of your circles as being you know these here the concentric circles your inner circle would be your closest circles then we also have shaitan the devil and his minions we also have angels so what do i have direct control over it's my choices but my fitra is going to influence me the people who I'm around are going to influence me, which in our contemporary times, we would also include social media. The type of intention and intimacy I give to social media is akin to what I would give to a closest friend, sometimes even more to social media. And then what society is also telling me about right and wrong priorities, even my place in society. Like if I'm a member of a marginalized or minority community, that there's assumptions about what I am that I often internalize. And then shaitan, what is shaitan's influence? It's basically to distract you. How do the angels influence you? That when you are upright and continue upright, then angels come down to reinforce you. This is in Surah 41. So that's more after you've made choices. So the point is that think of all these things that are influencing you. You can change your inner circle as you get older. But... Uh, but the impact of your formative years will be with you for a long time. You can change your outer circle, your society, again, as you get older, if you have the power to do so, if you have the means to do so. And so all of this is part of what's forming you and is influencing your choices. And so it's almost like there's a small amount in all of that that is your free will. And that is what you're being held to account for. But judged, but you're being judged according to your context, which includes your abilities. So even if you think of, you know, three kids raised in the exact same household, the first kid is being raised with a different set of parents than the second kid, even though it's the same parents. Right? With the first kid, the parents are learning how to be parents. Second kid, now the parents have some experience. Third kid, often if that's the youngest, is the baby, or the fourth kid's the baby, right? And unless there's more, but the point is that even in the same household, you know, three different kids, four different kids, six different kids are being given, are having a different experience. And all of that is part of your formation and would be part of your judgment. Let me know if that makes sense or if I completely missed your question. So it's, uh, so there's an age factor too, right? Um, so, for example, you are in some society, like uh, growing up in the society, which is a source, which is influence, right? Maybe yeah. it's a bad influence. Um, then uh, you go, go to a strong age, a young age, and then strong age, like 30, 30 plus, And then yeah. it gives you a, a, some sort of ability to practice your free will, right? Uh, because you get uh, more control of your life in terms of being resourceful or in terms of uh, you are, you you are, uh, more resourceful now. You have like money or all those things. So Assuming at, you have all those things, yeah. So at, at that time, you have more ability more to and ability to practice your free will, right? So will that free will play that role? Okay, now I can clean up, right? Absolutely. You know, just like uh, Uncle Ben, who's quoting Voltaire, with great power comes great responsibility. Yeah. So, yeah. Absolutely. And so what also seems to happen in terms of the evolution of someone's life is that your resilience to trauma, to your inner demons continues to increase. And then you reach a point where it plateaus. 
and then your resilience starts to decrease. So generally speaking, what is this period, your plateaus, this is give or take around your 30s. And maybe for some people into their 40s. And then these things <clears throat> that affected you and even perhaps newer things that affected you, they will start catching up to you much more. If in the earlier part of your life, you didn't go through a process to, to deal with them. So let's say someone here has experienced some childhood trauma and let's say they, they, go, they don't go through any therapy, but they've been able to function, you know, through their thirties and forties, uh, being affected. Sometimes it will start catching up to you. And so, so part of the goal here in treating a person's heart, it parallels the work of a therapist, but there are fundamental differences. But the goal is what? The goal is to try to remove these layers, which is synonymous with someone getting more and more healthy. So yeah, so uh, the peak of independence for many people might be in their 30s and 40s. Some people might be later bloomers and it happens later. But the point I'm making is that you would think that resilience just keeps increasing, not necessarily. So let's say you have someone in their 20s who hates their parents for whatever reason. In 30s and 40s, it's there in the background. In their later years, it'll start coming up again, even if their parents were not tyrants. And so some say that the pinnacle is age 40, right? We're taught that that's one of the moments you truly fully become an adult. Okay. Any other questions? Again, I'm saying that's not your destiny, that your demons are going to catch up with you. That's if you're not doing something towards healing. All righty. So no other questions. Uh, we'll stop right here then, inshallah. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Subhanakallahumma, glory to you, O Allah, wa bihamdika, praise and gratitude are to you. Nashhadu an la ilaha illa anta, we bear witness there is no God but you. Nastaghfiruka, we seek your forgiveness. Wa natubu ilayk and we turn to you. All right, may Allah tell the word you all, inshallah, and we will see you, inshallah, tomorrow. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh.